Section 25 of The Red and the Black, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read for you by Chiquito Crasto. The Red and the Black, Volume 2, by Stendhal. Translated by Horace P. Samuel. Chapter 55. The Ministry of Virtue. But if I take this pleasure with so much prudence and circumspection, I shall no longer find it a pleasure. Lope de Vega As soon as our hero had returned to Paris, and had come out of the study of the Marquis de la Meule, who seemed very displeased with the dispatches that were given him, he rushed off for the Comte Altamira. This noble foreigner combined with the advantage of having once been condemned to death a very grave demeanour, together with the good fortune of a devout temperament. These two qualities, and more than anything, the Comte's high birth, made an especial appeal to Madame de Fervac, who saw a lot of him. Julian solemnly confessed to him that he was very much in love with her. Her virtue is the purest and the highest, answered Altamira. Only it is a little Jesuitical and dogmatic. There are days when, though I understand each of the expressions which she makes use of, I never understand the whole sentence. She often makes me think that I do not know French as well as I am said to. But your acquaintance with her will get you talked about. It will give you weight in the world. But let us go to Bustos, said Count Altamira, who had a methodical turn of mind. He once paid court to Madame Le Marechal. Don Diego Bustos had the matter explained to him at length, while he said nothing, like a barrister in his chambers. He had a big monk-like face with black moustaches, and an inimitable gravity. He was, however, a good carbonaro. "'I understand,' he said to Julian at last. "'Has the Marechal de Fervac had, de Fervac had lovers, or has she not? Have you consequently any hope of success? That is the question.' I don't mind telling you, for my part, that I have failed. Now that I am no more piqued, I reason it out to myself in this way. She is often bad-tempered, and as I will tell you in a minute, she is quite vindictive. I fail to detect in her that bilious temperament which is a sign of genius, and shows, as it were, a veneer of passion over all its actions. On the contrary, she owes her rare beauty and her fresh complexion to the phlegmatic, tranquil character of the Dutch. Julian began to lose patience with the phlegmatic slowness of the imperturbable Spaniard. He could not help giving vent to some monosyllables from time to time. "'Will you listen to me?' Don Diego Bustos gravely said to him. "'Forgive the furia francese. I am all years,' said Julian. "'The Marechal de Fervac, then, is a great hater.' She persecutes ruthlessly people she has never seen. Advocates poor devils of men of letters who have composed songs like Coye, you know. J'ai la marotte, dame marotte, etc. And Julian had to put up with the whole quotation. The Spaniard was very pleased to get a chance of singing in French. The divine song was never listened to more impatiently. When it was finished, Don Diego said, the marechal procured the dismissal of the author of the song. On joue l'amour au cabaret. Julian shuddered lest he should want to sing it. He contented himself with analyzing it. 
as a matter of fact it was blasphemous and somewhat indecent when the marechal become enraged against the song said don diego i remarked to her that a woman of her rank ought not to read all the stupid things that are published whatever progress piety and gravity may make france will always have a cabaret literature be careful i said to madame de fervaques when she had succeeded in depriving the author a poor devil on half pay of a place worth eighteen hundred francs a year you have attacked this rhymester with your own arms he may answer you with his rhymes he will make a song about virtue the gilded salons will be on your side but people who like to laugh will repeat his epigrams do you know monsieur what the marechal answered let all paris come and see me walking to my martyrdom for the sake of the lord it will be a new spectacle for france the people will learn to respect the quality it will be the finest day of my life her eyes never looked finer and she had superb ones exclaimed julian i see that you are in love further went on don diego bustos gravely she has not the bilious constitution which causes vindictiveness if however she likes to do harm it is because she is unhappy i suspect some great misfortune may it not be quite well a case of prude tired of her role the spaniard looked at him in silence for a good minute that's the whole point he added gravely and that's what may give you ground for some hope i have often reflected about it during the two years that i was her very humble servant all your future my amorous sir depends on this great problem is she a prude tired of her role and only malicious because she is unhappy or said altamira emerging at last from his deep silence can it be as i have said twenty times before simply a case of french vanity the memory of her father the celebrated cloth merchant constitutes the unhappiness of this frigid melancholy nature the only happiness she could find would be to live in toledo and to be tortured by a confessor who would show her hell wide open every day altamira informs me you are one of us said don diego whose demeanour was growing graver and graver to julian as he went out you will help us one day in re-winning our liberty so i would like to help you in this little amusement it is right that you should know the marechal's style here are four letters in her handwriting i will copy them out exclaimed julian and bring them back to you and you will never let any one know a word of what we have been saying never on my honour said julian well god help you said the spaniard and he silently escorted altamira and julian as far as the staircase this somewhat amused our hero he was on the point of smiling so we have the devout altamira he said to himself aiding me in an adulterous enterprise during don diego's solemn conversation julian had been attentive to the hours struck by the clock of the hotel d'aligre the little hour the dinner hour was drawing near he was going to see matilda again he went in and dressed with much care mistake number one he said to himself as he descended the staircase I must follow the prince's instructions to the letter. He went up to his room again and put on a travelling suit which was as simple as it could be. All I have to do now, he thought, is to keep control of my expression. 
It was only half-past five, and they dined at six. He thought of going down to the salon, which he found deserted. He was moved to the point of tears at the sight of the blue sofa. "'I must make an end of this foolish sensitiveness,' he said angrily. "'It will betray me.' He took up a paper, in order to keep himself in countenance, and passed three or four times from so salon into the garden. And it was only when he was well concealed by a large oak that he ventured to raise his eyes at Mademoiselle de la Meulte's window. It was hermetically sealed. He was on the point of falling and remained for a long time leaning against the oak. Then, with a staggering step, he bent to have another look at the gardener's ladder. The chain which he had once forced asunder, in, alas, such different circumstances, had not yet been repaired. Carried away by a moment of madness, Julian pressed it to his lips. After having wandered about for a long time between the salon and the garden, Julian felt horribly tired. He was now feeling acutely the effects of a first success. My eyes will be expressionless and will not betray me. The guests gradually arrived in the salon. The door never opened without instilling anxiety into Julian's heart. They sat down at table. Mademoiselle de la Mole, always faithful to her habit of keeping people waiting, eventually appeared. She blushed a great deal on seeing Julian. She had not been told of his arrival. In accordance with Prince Korasov's recommendation, Julian looked at his hands. They were trembling. Troubled though he was beyond words by this discovery, he was sufficiently happy to look merely tired. Monsieur de la Mole sang his praises. The Marquise spoke to him a minute afterwards and complimented him on his tired appearance. Julian said to himself at every minute, I ought not to look too much at Mademoiselle de la Meule. I ought not to avoid looking at her too much either. I must appear as I was eight days before my unhappiness. He had occasion to be satisfied with his success and remained in the salon. Paying attention for the first time to the mistress of the house, he made every effort to make the visitors speak and to keep the conversation alive. His politeness was rewarded. Madame de la Marechale de Fervaques was announced about eight o'clock. Julian retired, and shortly afterwards appeared dressed with the greatest care. Madame de la Mole was infinitely grateful to him for this mark of respect, and made a point of manifesting her satisfaction by telling Madame de Fervaques about his journey. Julian established himself near the Marechal in such a position that Matilda could not notice his eyes. In this position he lavished in accordance with all the rules in the art of love the most abject admiration on Madame de Fervaques. The first of the fifty-three letters with which Prince Korasov had presented him commenced with a tirade on this sentiment. The Marechal announced that she was going to the Opera Bouffe. Julian rushed there. He ran across the Chevalier de Beauvoisy, who took him into a box occupied by Messieurs the gentlemen of the chamber, just next to Madame de Fervaques' box. Julian constantly looked at her. I must keep a siege journal, he said to himself as he went back to the hotel otherwise I shall forget my attacks. He wrote two or three pages on this boring theme, and in this way achieved the admirable result of scarcely thinking at all about Mademoiselle de la Mole. Matilda had almost forgotten him during his journey. He is simply a commonplace person after all, she thought. His name will always recall to me the greatest mistake in my life. I must honestly go back to all my ideas about prudence and honour, 
a woman who forgets them has everything to lose she showed herself inclined to allow the contract with the marquis de croissinois which had been prepared so long ago to be at last concluded he was mad with joy he would have been very much astonished had he been told that there was an element of resignation at the bottom of those feelings of matilda which made him so proud all mademoiselle de la meule's ideas changed when she saw julian as a matter of fact he is my husband she said to herself if i am sincere in my return to sensible notions he is clearly the man i ought to marry she was expecting importunities and airs of unhappiness on the part of julian she commenced rehearsing her answers for he would doubtless try to address some words to her when they left the dinner-table far from that he remained stubbornly in the salon and did not even look in the direction of the garden though god knows what pain that caused him it is better to have this explanation out all at once thought mademoiselle de la meule she went into the garden alone julian did not appear matilda went and walked near the salon window she found him very much occupied in describing to madame de fervaques the old ruined chateau which crowns the banks along the rhine and invests them with so much atmosphere he was beginning to acquit himself with some credit in that sentimental picturesque jargon which is called wit in certain salons prince korasov would have been very proud if he had been at paris this evening was exactly what he had predicted he would have approved the line of conduct which julian followed on the subsequent days an intrigue among the members of the secret government was going to bestow a few blue ribbons madame marechal de fervaques was insisting on her great-uncle being made a chevalier of the order the marquis de la meule had the same pretensions of his father-in-law they joined forces and the marechal came to the hotel de la meule nearly every day it was from her that julian learned that the marquis was going to be a minister he was offering to the camarilla a very ingenious plan for the annihilation of the charter within three years without any disturbance if monsieur de la mole became a minister julian could hope for a bishopric but all these important interests seemed to be veiled and hazy his imagination only perceived them very vaguely and so to speak in the far distance the awful unhappiness which was making him into a madman could find no other interest in life except the character of his relations with mademoiselle de la mole he calculated that after five or six careful years he would manage to get himself loved again the cold brain had been reduced as one sees to a state of complete disorder out of all the qualities which had formerly distinguished him all that remained was a little firmness he was literally faithful to the line of conduct which prince korasov had dictated and placed himself every evening near madame fervaques armchair but he found it impossible to think of a word to say to her the strain of making matilda think that he had recovered exhausted his whole moral force and when he was with the marechal he seemed almost lifeless even his eyes had lost all their fire as in cases of extreme physical suffering as madame de la meule's views were invariably a counterpart of the opinions of that husband of hers who could make her into a duchess she had been singing julian's praises for some days end of section twenty five read for you by chiquito Crasto. Birmingham, Alabama.